Welcome to the Peach and Black podcast for a special tribute episode to Claire Fisher. Thank you everyone for coming back to the show. Uh, we're all here and ready to discuss the life and work of Claire Fisher. Introducing from left to right, Toe Jam. Ooh, wait a minute. I bet you're going to trip on this. Player. I was going to say that. <laughs> Player. <laughs> wait your turn, for God's sake. Player. I'm your Care Bear. You can be my Elmer. <laughs> and Captain. Hello, everybody. Okay, so we're all we're all back in the place for the beginning of year four of the Peach and Black podcast. Great to have everyone back, and hope everyone had a good end of 2011, and hopefully a, an exciting beginning to 2012, which will undoubtedly be another interesting year in the Prince fan community, and hopefully for all of us and for everyone listening. But I guess the uh, main reason why we're all gathered here today is to discuss a very special person with regards to Prince's music, and that is Claire Fisher, Mr. Claire, Dr. Claire Fisher, I should say. And um, the sad part of our conversation is um, obviously the passing of Claire Fisher in uh, January 2012. I've, I've got a bit of a spiel, if everyone's happy to for, yeah, go for, for a few minutes on Claire. He was born in Michigan, obviously in the US, and has been referred to as an uncommonly versatile musician, much like Prince, I guess. He was uh, trained in classical music. By his own admission, I think he started composing classical works at the age of 11 and moved on to composing jazz works at about age 13 and then moved on to more uh, Latin-based and Brazilian-influenced music and then just kept on going from there. And, um, you know, as, as I just said, multi-instrumentalist, but described by many people that have worked with him by kind of a master of all trades, really, and especially with regards to, um, you know, compositional abilities. One of the um, biggest compliments I saw, Herbie Hancock said something that, you know, he's in Herbie Hancock's top five most influential composers. Yeah, like harmonics or something. Yeah, and, you know, Herbie Hancock has worked with absolutely everyone there is to work with in in any form of music. Yeah. To have Claire Fisher in your top five of, you know, influential composers, that's amazing. Yeah, I think some of the other people that Herbie Hancock mentioned were um, Bill Evans, Gil Evans, and Ravel, and then I'm thinking, and Claire Fisher. And, you know, to most people within, let's say, the jazz realm, outside of Ravel, you know, you'd know the Evans Evans references, but I wonder how many people would be familiar with Claire Fisher's work or even Claire Fisher as a musician, so it's interesting. And the list of his works, accomplishments, involvements really is endless. Claire received a master's degree in composition from Michigan State Uni. He um, traveled with um, a a group called the Hilos as a pianist and conductor, 
He also uh, did a, was involved heavily with arrangements for um, a couple of Dizzy Gillespie albums, most notably Ooh. a portrait of Duke Ellington. You know, and, and it just keeps going. I think uh, Donald Byrd was a very close friend, and they did a lot of work together. You said he was multi-instrumentalist. What was his main thing? Piano? I believe so, yeah. Piano, uh, keyboard. Um, I'm sure fin- he could play the strings if he can arrange as well as he can. Yeah, he yeah, would need to, to be, be able to play. <laughs> I read something about they used to give him instruments and a chart, and he'd just learn, he'd like pick it up, like all these instruments straight away. Kind of like a prince, like... Put an instrument in his hands, he'll play it. Mm. He'll but yeah, it I think he's yeah, predominantly keyboardist, but band leader, arranger, composer. He's he, he does everything. You know. Well, you're you're right about band leader, um, player because he had his own big band in the um, I believe in the sixties, late sixty mm. nine. He released a critically acclaimed big band record and and just kept going from there. Um, in his own words, he was you know not just a jazz, Latin, or classical musician, but a fusion of a fusion of everything you know that influenced him and that he enjoyed. And he he explained once that really it was about creating his own fusion. It wasn't just, you know, you listen to the jazz rock fusion or the funk jazz fusion, but in his words, it was the Claire Fisher fusion, which made him very individual. The more more you talk about him, the more he sounds just like Prince. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, I didn't think it was going to go this way. uh, the, um, The Alan Leeds thing, I remember seeing an interview with Alan Leeds, and he basically said that they are they're, they're very similar characters they they're both in their you know their own little realms prince in the you know the pop thing and claire in the you know the orchestral arranging side of the world i guess that alan leeds knowing both of them basically said they're the same sort of character you know they're their own they have their own sound very unique you know that they're very particular about what they want and so you know when i remember that alan leeds said something like you know putting them together was like you know a mix uh, made in heaven musically and yeah i mean it's not only the, the orchestral classical side, though. Um, Claire was also, you know, an accom- accomplished pianist in whether it be jazz standards, playing the blues. And, and that's an interesting fact in itself. You know, a, a lot of blues players or rock players aren't necessarily and very rarely talented jazz players and vice versa, but he, he seemed to be both. He was also commissioned by Richard Stoltzman, a, a classical artist, to write a symphonic work using Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn, you know, themes and thematical content. So, you know, it's just incredible when you scratch underneath the surface. Um, he's a Grammy Award winner. Oh, what did he win the Grammy for? The first Grammy Award was for an album called Salsa Picante, oh. plus two, plus two. And his second one was for an album called Free Fall. And I believe after these two albums, he spent a lot more time educating in jazz, performing solo piano repertoires, and conducting a lot of like workshop type stuff, and classes in universities, music schools, colleges, uh, and obviously still doing a lot of um, writing, a lot of a lot of composing. And it was about that time when when he won his Grammy Awards in the early to mid-80s that obviously he began his work with Prince. And and really, I mean, the, the, we could spend all day on who he's been involved in, but let me just read a quick list of who Fisher has written for. People the likes of the following. George Shearing, Natalie Cole, Chucker Khan and Rufus, as mentioned, The Jacksons on a few pieces, Earl Clue, Robert Palmer, Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, João Gilberto, Brian McKnight, Tony Braxton... Uh, Tori Amos, Brantford Marsalis. I'd want to check that out, Brantford Marsalis. Yeah, 
Yeah, Branford Marsalis, um, Japanese groups, Japanese vocal groups and instrumental groups, Vanessa Williams. I mean, it, it just keeps on going on and on. And really, he became known for his, in the pop world, for his arrangements for strings. And I, I remember reading somewhere something about him being quite surprised by that, because really, I don't, I don't know, obviously, I'm not speaking on behalf of Claire here, but I didn't get the impression that he ranked his string arrangements as, as the pinnacle of his work. So that's also interesting, you know, I, I guess maybe maybe because of the pop influence for artists like Prince, he was more well-known for that, and has recorded for over 45 albums as a leader. I mean... Like band leader. Yeah, that is astonishing, and has played on a, over 100 plus albums for other recording artists. It sounds to me like he's the ultimate undiscovered composer-arranger, yeah. that like... Anyone who knows anything knows something about him from someone, whether it's us through Prince or other people through other artists. But he's sort of this untapped, you know, like the you know the universities haven't caught up with him or they haven't discovered him yet. It's yeah, I think you're onto something there. Like it's incredible. The more the more and more um, you read about him and hear about him, it, it's kind of like that. I mean, you know, that you could say almost he, his discography and his involvement almost reads like, reads like a who's who of you know you know you can just name checking people in the recording industry and. You know, his most recent album, supposedly, or one of his most recent albums, was, was nominated for a, for a Grammy for contemporary instrumental music, I believe, or something similar. He's made up his own symphonic works in the last 10 years, did a lot of work back in the classical realm. He's got an honorary doctorate of fine arts. It's, you know, it really is overwhelming. It's very similar to what we've spoken about on this show, which is when we were discovering Prince and his many talents. And I just think to myself now, Claire Fisher potentially might be my next musical discovery (laughs) you know what's interesting though you say he did some work with a michael jackson track do you think michael jackson fans are sitting around talking about that song that he did with claire fisher i I think it might be different though because you know he did a lot of work with prince yeah that was the other thing i was going to say too he he might he might have worked with prince more than any of those other artists listed uh, but we but we don't know. <laughs> potentially, yeah. But he's had a lot of influence and work in maybe influence is the wrong word. He's he's done a lot of work and he's been very active in the Latin communities, Latin jazz and bossa nova stylings and all that kind of stuff. I hope that's not where Prince got his. Oh well, it's near the end of the song. Let's go Latin style. I hope you didn't get that from him. <laughs> you never know. Because that's not a good influence at all. Well, s- supposedly, um. Someone who knew Claire, who also knew Prince, or there was some sort of mutual connection, got the two of them together because word out was on the street in the mid-80s that Prince wanted a string arranger. He was looking for one, and it just so happened that they somehow crossed paths, which was interesting. But yeah, for for anyone listening and, and anyone hearing most of this stuff for the first time, definitely check it all out because... um. You know, I know that we're talking about Claire primarily um, based on the fact that he's uh, recently passed and, and what a contribution this man has made. You know, again, we're coming from the Prince kind of um, fan POV. Base. POV. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just incredible. I'm absolutely um, flabbergasted by some of the stuff that's, as we do with Prince-related material, uh, whether it be album reviews or talking about anything else related to uh, the genius from Minneapolis – you could almost spend as much time on Claire Fisher at the moment. So why don't we just go into a little bit more detail with regards to the history of the two? Does anyone have any anything else to say about you know uh, rumors, um, mythology surrounding these two guys? Um, I've just got to say, for a fairly long time, like I'm sure a lot of other people did as well, that Claire was not a guy. 
Yeah. I always thought it was a girl for, for so many years. Yeah, until me too. Finally, somewhere I read something that said he, and I'm like, he? <laughs> I, 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 saw on, I saw on the org there was a thread as well. A bunch of people said they never knew it was a guy either. So it's not just me. Yeah. I'm, I'm not alone. I, I can't remember the last time that, well, I mean, not that many people have passed that are related to Prince, but I mean, this is a pretty big deal in the community. Like, I haven't been on the forums at all, but when I went into Google and um, put down Prince Claire Fisher, like, all, almost all of the results are like all these Prince fan sites talking about, you know, rest in peace. I think most hardcore fans just, you know, like, highly respect this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. And, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I naively thought that... Like, I didn't know that people liked him so much. Yeah, so the, the story goes, and uh, please correct me if there's any details I say incorrectly here, but um, uh, my understanding of the how it all started with Claire Frischer and Prince is that obviously the time had broken up and Prince was looking for uh, another support band to support him, and um, this time he wanted to do a band that was... The, the theme of the band was the kind of old black and white movies. Uh, that was kind of the theme of the band, and that's, that's kind of how the family um, started up. The whole artwork, everything's got that sort of 19... 20s, 1930s, like high fashion kind of look to it. Apparently, you know, Prince wanted to get some really nice strings on the album. And so uh, the story goes that Alan Leeds actually hooked up getting Claire Fisher involved. Uh, it's one of those things I'd love to know, and I'm sure someone does out there. Did Prince know Claire Fisher before, or was he completely oblivious to him? Um, I, think I know he that. was aware of his work through Shaka Khan. I think Claire's yeah. work with Shaka yeah. Khan, I think that's how he got familiar with it. Yeah, and I think as Prince fans, um, you know, a lot of us are kind of oblivious to Claire Fisher before Prince and like researching a lot of this, I'm amazed at, you know, the work he had done in pop music before he even got to Prince. So he obviously had a a good reputation before that. But um, on the family album, the tracks he uh, does the strings for on the family are are pretty much all of them. High Fashion, The Screams of Passion, River on Dry, Nothing Compares to You, the original version, and Desire. So that, you know, that's pretty much the whole album right there. And that album really has a good following in the fan community. It's highly respected as one of the better associated artist tracks. And um, I think it's kind of a, that album sort of a natural progression from Around the World in the Day, but it's heightened by the more intricate strings and that sort of, again, that sort of high culture sort of sound to it. You know, to start with, it was a great start. I was going to say, when I think about that family album, the, usually the first thing I think is orchestration. Yeah. Even though it's not always right, you know, at the front, it's a really heavily orchestrated album, and I always think that when I think about that album. What I've always loved about, like you know, Prince used strings on you know on Purple Rain and a few of the songs on Around the World in a Day. But to me, like the family album, it doesn't sound like oh, it's like a string section. It sounds like it's all one sound. That's that's what I think Claire brought to it, mm. which is quite impressive when you consider that supposedly the vast majority of the work that Claire did for Prince was based on. Prince sending Claire whatever he had recorded, which was, for the most part, either the complete song, less strings, or just the very basic rhythm tracks without anything else, or with a vocal, but, you know, 
generally either of those two, supposedly. Claire commented that he basically just added the orchestra bits. But I, he, mean, I also remember Claire saying something about he was always pleased by the fact that Prince would allow him the freedom to do his thing. And so that, you know, he would send him, you know, the basic drum tracks or the tracks and just say, you know, do what you hear rather mm-hmm. than, oh, I want this section to sound like this and this section to sound like that. He's like, do your thing. Yeah, that's a good, you know, way, I think, of collaborating musically. And speaking of collaboration, it's kind of funny, you know, that's got to be rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for the strings, that sort of, you know, when you, if you're recording a song and you want a string arrangement, you know, you've sort of got something in your head already. But mm. I think um, the, the respect they must have had between the two of them was just, you know, you do what you hear and, and I'll, I'll follow it. Yeah, Claire once said that um, occasionally Prince would give him suggestions uh, at the beginning of a project or at the beginning of, a, of the work that, that he was asked to do with some rough ideas. But the vast majority of the time, as you said, Tojem, Prince left it almost entirely up to Claire. And again, that I think that's one of the key reasons why Claire is so respected in the Prince fan community is because you realise that if Prince is happy to basically give this over, give the string arrangements or the orchestral bits of of the music over to someone else entirely, then he, again, as Turjem said, must really respect this person's work and ability to transform his songs into, arguably, in some cases, classics, where without those arrangements, I don't know that we'd be saying the same things about oh, yeah, those I agree. Like, songs. A track like The Screams of Passion, like, if you take the strings out of that song, it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not bad, but it's, it's not it's really... It's just like a groove, yeah. Yeah, but the, the strings add so much to that song. Yeah, definitely. But also with with the family project, it's almost like that was the first project. You know, Prince didn't use him for his own designated project to start off with. It's almost like I'll, I'll test it out on this um, associated artist act that I've got and see how how it goes. And you know, from there it went really well. So you know, he's incorporated it into you know things like Parade, and then from there there on. In. Well, it's um, it's interesting. When I was talking about, you know, the family was originally the theme was sort of this old movie theme, and it's almost like Prince was obviously pretty happy with the album how it turned out. That he almost kind of, well, I'm going to do it myself now, and and that's what the whole parade under the cherry moon thing is in many ways. Yeah, even like the movie itself, where he scores, yeah, like that's not even on the parade album, where it's just you know scenes within the movie where he's he's scoring. I mean, they they're really cool parts as well. Yeah. Well, talking about parade, he's all over that. <laughs> Yeah. He's everywhere. And um, the movie too, just all through the movie, it's pretty much nonstop. It's either a Prince song or it's a Claire Fisher arrangement or it's one of the, you know, a combination. And and speaking of Parade, it really, again, it's hard to imagine listening to Parade now without those without those elements. I think they're as important as, as anything else on that album. There's such a sophistication to that, to that music. It's in no small part due to these exquisite arrangements, but also it, it's interesting that two different musicians can create something so magical seemingly without really having much of a dialogue about it and i, I don't know it's just a, it's because you know, they've, they've never met do they ever meet i don't know no they have they have never met in fact when um he was asked about that he said no he never met prince and when prince was asked about meeting claire prince supposedly said something like i don't want to meet him it's going fine as it is let's leave it that way um huh. which is very interesting because Alan Leeds kind of hinted at the fact that you know they've both got a bit of an ego, and so potentially, <laughs> potentially they they both recognise that, and rather than Stay you know, apart. <laughs> yeah, and maybe maybe they both recognise that it's better 
for both of them to do it that way. I, I find that I always find that really interesting. It's like I guess it's kind of superstitious, but like it's just interesting that they're, they're trying. I guess it's not like a deliberate thing, but it's it's it like like Prince says it works. So you know why why change it if it's not broken? It does have it does have a, a funny element to it though, doesn't it? Like a, a, an odd peculiar tone to their to their relationship it's almost like their relationship as musicians is is takes the status of mythical proportions it's like these two people that never met create this incredible (laughs) incredible work together and speaking of egos supposedly when he was asked about his collaborations with prince he 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 described prince as pleasant and fruitful (laughs) but they they and again they supposedly joined forces on more than 40 pieces this is straight out of Claire Fisher saying, Prince is intelligent. He never visits the studio when I am working for him, and I have never met him in person. He sends me memos, and we do talk over the phone. Once I sent him my 2 plus 2 gramming winning CD. I heard from people that were present saying that while he took out the disc, he looked away from the cover saying, I don't want to know what he looks like. It's working just fine as it is. <laughs> <laughs> He go, Claire goes on to say, Prince does not want to meet me because he knows that the minute he walks into a studio, he will start interfering. It is uncommon that a person with such a strong ego realizes that I have an ego too, says Fisher. There we go. So, yeah, <laughs> to your point, Ojem. And it's interesting that if anyone's ever seen in, an interview with Claire Fisher or has heard Claire speak or talk, he is a very, how do I put this? He's got a very strong personality, so I wouldn't be surprised... <laughs> <laughs> um, very, very funny guy, kind of quirky, quirky humor. Yeah. yeah, but you could, you could just tell that maybe that wouldn't be the best idea for them to meet. So okay, so they didn't meet, but they did talk on the phone. So it's not like they've never had any contact. Mm. He, he, he knew he was male. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think with um, what you were saying earlier about giving Claire the freedom to you know, do whatever he likes with his work. I think everything that got sent back to Prince, I think the compositions are more involved and then Prince turns up or turns down in the mix the parts that he likes. And I yeah. think that's more evident in that Red Bull interview on YouTube where he's talking about I Wonder You, where you can hear things in the mix that aren't in the in the parade version. And I think that's what happens. Like Claire sends back like a fully orchestrated song over the top of Prince's song, but Prince like turns up and turns down sections yeah. within I'll the song. Take the, I'll just take this bit. This, and this yeah. Bit. So like, if he doesn't like a part, he will just won't use that part in the song. But yeah, like sometimes the the subtlety throughout the song, like little bits here and there, that's that's all it needs. I think with the movie too, a lot of that stuff, like in any movie score, it just gets left on the cutting room floor, just because there's nowhere to put it. Yeah. And a lot of the times, you know, composers just compose mountains and mountains more than they need and then the director will be like well i only want this 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 is this and that's not a thing on the quality of the music it's just that you know there's only a two-hour movie there's no nowhere we can put it all in there so. yeah well if if you listen to that red bull music academy clip on youtube when when they get to the i wonder you bit which is which is short you can hear this incredible very odd sounding parts and they're all orchestrated they're all live strings as well uh, which they which they point out you know and prince playing bass obviously not not in the same session that the strings would have been recorded but they they do outline that prince is playing bla- uh, prince is playing bass on that track but you hear all these parts as players that that are so atmospheric but are very thick like they're very they're very out there or has it a guess to say that maybe by leaving in the original parts that, that Claire 
composed and had recorded might have taken a song like I Wonder You and an album like Parade too far away from the pop idiom. I think that's maybe what happened yeah, because... For, for the Parade album, it's one of those things like I would love to get like the actual Claire Fisher score for Under the Cherry Moon. That'd be great. It's a separate mm-hmm. album. I was just about to say, like there's a by Mike Oldfield, an orchestral tubular bells. Imagine if you could just get the full orchestra version of the Parade album without any drums, any prints, just his stuff. That would be so good. Yeah, or like, like the Batman we, album. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, but... Yeah, like the Batman album, where you have two scores, you know, the Prince score and the yeah. Danny Elfman score, something like that, that'd be great. Full orchestral version of the whole Parade album. You know, it just dawned on me, this will sound like a fairly obvious thing to say, and you might ask why I'm mentioning it, but we'll never, we will never hear another track uh, unless Prince pulls something out of the vault or a sample that he has already got, but, you know, a, a new Claire Fisher composition. I think that's particularly sad, particularly saddening. I mean, you know, you yeah, only have sure. to... It's, yeah. it's like, you know, imagine if, um, you know, Eric Leeds or someone like that passed away. It's the same thing. You're like, oh, man, there's never going to be a, another song with an Eric Leeds funky horn line on it. Hmm. I don't know about you guys, but don't you get the impression that the collaborative work that Prince and Claire Fisher had was predominantly in the 80s, and ever since then, they've kind of like samples in, in like subsequent songs since? Uh, not always. I think a lot of I mean, no, the not, songs... Yeah. Not always. I think there's one or two where he's actually sent him tapes to do, but it seems, I don't know, it seems like the collaborative process is less since the 80s. Oh, yeah, the bulk there's of it certainly... was the 80s, and then since then, it's kind of, I, I don't know if he's digging out things from the vault and just sticking them randomly into songs where they fit. I don't know. That's the impression I get sometimes. There's not much in the sort of mid-90s. Like, it sort of dries up in the mid-90s. But then you get, like, um, New Power Soul and Rave. And, you know, he's on a few, he's on, like, two or three tracks on each of those albums. So, And they're, they're proper arrangements from my listening. On the note of um, Prince using samples, though, don't you guys think that, it really is a testament to Prince as a, as a as an arranger as well, because yeah, when he does use those samples, by and large, they sound seamless. I mean, they sound as if Claire put them. Claire would have put them there if he had his way with them. <laughs> yeah, songs the like um, "Push," "Push," yeah, um, that's the one that first comes to mind, and "Violet um, the Organ Grinder" as well. Like I was, I, I, I was convinced that was a um, an actual arrangement, and then Play pointed out to me before the show that it was actually a sample so yeah that's an awesome song yeah definitely is yeah, that the sample from Crystal Ball I'm pretty sure that the line in the because he says Crystal goes, Ball yeah in the middle of the Crystal Ball in the middle of a Crystal Ball and then you hear an orchestration in the background which sounds like it, he's taken a sample from Crystal Ball it's kind of like a, a little cross reference there Mm. And tricky, tricky. It's the same. That part there is the same, used again at the start of Days of Wild on the Crystal Ball album. That's right. Mm. So yeah, it's kind of like that little section. Like he's used a few times as a, as a sample. But yeah, it's it's it's. Really there was cool. also a, a sample in um the nude tour. I forget what was this. I think it was the question of you. Yeah. And Electric Man. There was a sample that would just you know obviously Matt Fink would just trigger and it, it always worked really well no matter where it where it started or stopped. Yeah. In that song, that was a great way of doing it. I think a song like Push, for example, that, that comes to mind, which is kind of like real sort of hip hop beats and kind of like a real complex arrangement for, the, for to stick an orchestral thing underneath it and have it so seamless. It's, you know, you wouldn't really expect like a hip hop based song like that would to have orchestra and make it work, but 
you know, he manages to do it. It's really cool. And it doesn't sound like a, a sample. It sounds proper. Yeah, like it's p- yeah. part of it, yeah. Even like the future in um, Batman, like it, it gives, you know, that dark quality to the, to the music that it needed for that, that particular project. But they're sampled from, obviously it wasn't out yet, but they're sampled from the Crystal Ball track, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. Same sample again. Similar thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it sounds like it. And let's not forget Crystal Ball. I mean, oh, this is well, a song that's, that's yeah. like, you know. Epic. Epic. Most Prince, what it, I can't remember what it rated in our top one, uh, top list, but, you know, it's one of those songs, like, as I just said then, the moment you say it, Prince fans just go, oh, man, that is, you know, that is the stuff. And, uh, I, I reckon <laughs> Crystal stuff. Ball's is masterpiece, honestly. Yeah, it's it's up there. It's amazing. And what Claire does to that only adds to that even more. In no way is it distracting to me. No, how could it be? Well, again, we we don't know the exact sequencing or even... We we don't have all the information. We're just a lonely little podcast from Australia. But (laughs) supposedly, um, the first few versions of Crystal Ball contained no orchestral parts at all. And only the last or some of the last versions, full-length versions, had the Claire Fisher orchestra parts added or recorded, uh, you know, all the string arrangements. Well, there were string overdubs, basically, by, by Claire Fisher's actual orchestra, which I think gives it gives it a, a sonic depth and clarity that just, again, Crystal Ball without the string arrangements, I think, is incredible. Crystal Ball with the string arrangements, it's that's off the chart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree, totally. I totally. That's the difference between, like, an absolutely amazing song and a, and a masterpiece. Hmm. Just adds that little extra. Well, the very, the very likely thing is... Prince probably has tens of tracks sitting in the vault with Claire Fisher on them. That's my guess. And hopefully one day we might hear them. Well, yeah. one thing that we won't hear, as as most of our listeners know, if they heard our Sydney Opera House Challenge episode, uh, I think we mentioned in, in that show how incredible it would be to get, pains me to say now, but I think we mentioned, you know, get Claire Fisher's involvement in some sort of live symphonic show or concert. And... You know, it really is, I don't want to drag on about the fact that it is such a loss, but it really is such a loss because this this incredible musician that we're talking about and composer added so much and, I mean, really now I kind of think like, well, forget about it. If you weren't going to do it with Claire or if you don't have the opportunity to do it with Claire, I just think forget about the idea if, you know, if it was if it was on your mind. Well, one um, thing they could do, like kind of like um, what uh, Quincy Jones and Miles Davis did, after Gil Evans died, they did a big tribute concert, and they they got all the old scores out and they played them as as written. So that could be interesting if they did it that way. Is like Claire's son could dig out all those scores and try and put it together with Prince's band. That'd be interesting. Mm. He would have to have them, Brent Brent Fisher. He yeah, you think so? So yeah, I mean, it just keeps on going on and on. It's incredible that we have so much to talk about. Actually, considering how little information there is uh, available. What you just said a minute ago, MC about. He had such a huge contribution to Prince's music. But the thing is, it wasn't a huge contribution. It was, you know, really, it was relatively minor. But the stuff that he did contribute was that damn good. It's got that much importance to it, you know? Exactly, yeah. He might have done a score for a whole song and Prince used 30, 40 seconds of it. But that 40 seconds was, you know, it's the best part of the song. Pure gold, yeah. So it's, 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 it's weird to say, you know, he had a huge contribution when... It is and it isn't. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And I think also so like... Some, um, some songs, even Prince, he's like buried the orchestration. It's there, but you can barely hear it. But just that the, the thickness of having it there, it just makes the whole song better, even when you can't even hear it that well. Yeah, yeah. Some, some songs are just like an icing on the cake, like Pink Cashmere. 
Like, you know, just having that on there. Oh, just like, that build up to the guitar solo. Uh, Holy man. moly. <laughs> that, I, I just listened to that, like, before we started this show, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's some good stuff. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's moments like that that we all, you know, we all reference them, and we're like, oh, man, it's, it, that, you know, that's what it, it brings to us all. You know, just those little 30-second moments. It's just brilliant. Now, I've got to mention Graffiti Bridge, the song. <laughs> I love that song. And I listened to it today, specifically trying to just listen to the to Claire Fisher's contribution. And it's it's sort of buried, but it's in there. But it's really good. It's like you could say it's better than the actual song itself. I'm stuff. sure it is. You, you could say that. <laughs> but ah, oh, I'd I'd really like to hear it, you know, to the fore because it sounds like there's some really good stuff going on. But it's buried by the the the, the vocals and everything else. I want to hear that version, just Claire Fisher's orchestra playing Graffiti Bridge. That'd be my dream. Well, you, you talk about you talk about the parts in in the song Graffiti Bridge, and I know we've already covered Parade, but just a, a little bit of information that I forgot to add. Supposedly, most of the orchestrations that Prince received from Claire Fisher were not used. <laughs> And he only mm. incorporated them, this is coming from an engineer's statement, he only incorporated them when they complemented what he was trying to do, mainly because of the fact that supposedly uh, Claire's arrangements offered uh, or involved a lot of counter melody and counter movement and all that kind of stuff, and it was just too much. I think it was Susan Rogers who, who, who says that. But see, if Prince paid Claire to you know, do orchestration for this whole song, or parade, you know, the whole album, you know, Claire got paid. Well, Whether Prince wants to use it or not, too bad. He's already paid for it. Claire's using Prince's words, you know, he's been paid. His job's done. Well, you're right. And, and when... when or not, Claire could probably care less. In a way, I think you're right. Because when Claire was asked about um, what his favorite, what was his favorite work of all the work that he did with Prince, <laughs> he didn't answer in specifics, but he said that he had great joy in writing for strings in general. And one of the problems with, with recording, first of all, writing, but then recording for strings in the studio is is money to pay musicians. It's just mm-hmm. a very expensive task. And people generally are given a low budget, so you can't hire, you know, large, you know, enormous string sections. But because Prince spends money and has the, the ability to do so, or did have so back in the 80s, he was able to, Claire was able to write string ses- sessions, whole string sections, massive ones, for orchestras, as opposed to writing for small ensembles. Again, that's probably um, a- another difference that Claire could maybe indulge in, with yeah, when you've got a 60-piece orchestra, go for it. Yeah. So, when they're all paid, why not? So, again, that's <laughs> it's little details like that that are, that are pretty interesting. But I, I really would love to know what else Claire composed for Parade or for Graffiti Bridge or, or you know whatever he was involved in because I think his, his work is exceptional. Just, you make me want to go back and watch Under the Cherry Moon now and like <laughs> listen to the music. But not Graffiti Bridge. <laughs> well, um... One thing about Claire Fisher's arrangement is that it's like Maceo Parker, it's like Eric Leeds, it's like Wendy and Lisa, it's like John Blackwell. The moment you hear them in that song, it, you know it's them. Yeah, <laughs> It's like Sonny T and Michael B as well, same sort of thing. The moment you hear those strings, you know it's Claire Fisher. It's it's not just like some you know background Muzak restaurant strings. Like It's got mm. its own sound and you, it's instantly recognizable. Like you remember the first time you heard Tiamo Corazon? You know, yeah. it's a it's a good ballad, but the the moment you hear those strings, you're like, oh yes, Claire Fisher Orchestra, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And 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 those strings are like 
Latin style. Oh, uh, what's the guy's name? What's They're the really like the thick chords. You know. Jobim, Antonio Carlos Jobim. It's like very similar to a lot of the stuff. Yeah, a lot of the stuff he's done. And supposedly Claire and and Antonio were friends, were close friends. So there, there you go. There's another another bit of trivia. Our conversation today is going all sorts of directions. Uh, I'll take it into another direction. Questlove uh, in a Rolling Stone article where he had to pick some of his favorite songs. Uh, Questlove, obviously from the the famous Roots crew. Talked about a song that he liked by uh, Rufus and Chaka Khan back in the late 70s called The Egyptian Song. And if anyone has heard that song, or hasn't heard that song, listen to the, the last probably 40 or 45 seconds and the string arrangements. And, and Questlove describes him to say that there's always been plenty of string arrangements in black music. You know, we all know the Barry White and Barry White influence and all that kind of stuff, but never in a Stravinsky-esque way. And, and that's what you hear. Mm. I mean, it's just all these jazz slash classical thing with a bit of funk thrown in. Well, um, what's also interesting is, isn't one of his favorite albums, the family album? Yeah. Which is full of Claire Fisher. Mm. Mm. Well, he was, he was going off on Twitter when the news came through about Claire. Like he was just um, spending the day on Twitter just saying, oh, you know, you've got to check out this album and this contribution. And yeah, he was like really hipping mm. people to up to Claire Fisher, who, you know, he has over, I think over a million followers on Twitter. So like, you know, he's putting the word out there on the guy. Mm. So, well, the, I mean, Quest, Quest and D'Angelo supposedly were Definitely. trying to get in touch with with Claire for the next D'Angelo album. You know, they Ooh. they wanted to to speak to him and potentially collaborate him while he was still around. And obviously, that didn't come to fruition. But oh, this 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 man's influence it really. Um, you know, we start off as a Prince podcast, but it, we it really goes into something else. And um, what else can I say? But it's incredible. <laughs> really, it's incredible when you think about the the work. I mean, you know, slow love that the. the I, I absolutely adore that song, pardon the pun. <laughs> All string arrangements on Slow Love. And um, Scandalous, I mean, that's got to be clear. Oh, man. That's... <laughs> or at least samples. Yeah. That's That's got to be, yeah. Even if it's samples, I mean... Going back to what you said before, MC, about, you know, back in the 80s, he used Claire a lot. Because yeah, that's, you know, that's when he had, the, you know, Purple Rain money. That's, that's when he could afford it. Yeah, Novi Novog got the arse and he upgraded. <laughs> Novi Novog. He traded up. But then, you know, as, as time did go on, you know, he might have had a bit less money to spend on 60-piece orchestras. And that's why he used him less, just to guess. The official point. Batman credits say... Um, horn and orchestral parts are performed by Sound of Blackness, uh, Eric Leeds and Adam yeah. Bliss, and the Claire Fisher Orchestra. Samples of the parts are rearranged and performed by Prince. So I guess it's kind of scattered throughout the album then, if that's what they say. Mm. Well, in that case, I'll take my bet and say that um, Scandalous yeah, has got some of those samples in there. there. Hang yeah. on, re- rearranged by Prince. Yeah, uh, yeah to be samples. It's, it kind of sounds like he had some sort of composition to work with from Claire, but fitting it in, it wouldn't fit. So he's probably chopped and diced it and sort of rearranged yeah. it to make it fit, mm. to fit within the song, which is pretty cool. Maybe that's why he's having, like, you see less and less contributions from Claire, because maybe, like, there's just things that he's tried to maybe insert into songs and it just doesn't work, so he just leaves them. And if they fit, they fit and you'll use them, and if they don't, you'll just leave it. The other thing to mention, and again, this is a very random conversation that we're having, but it's all in tribute to the great man, Mr. and Dr. Claire Fisher. Check out the track Morning, just titled Morning by Claire Fisher, which um, presumably is a um, standard in the jazz world. Jazz heads out there might check that out and let us know what you think. I'm definitely going to have a listen. I haven't heard it yet, but just a bit of a um, a nudge 
from one of our sources, Morning by Claire Fisher. So look at you know what, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm really, I'm going to spend this year just looking into this guy's work because... Yeah, is, I'm going to try and buy one of his, his own albums and have a listen. Yeah, I've, I've heard the late album from the late 60s, I think 1969 might be the year, the Claire Fisher Big Band album or something similar is supposedly stellar. Obviously, the couple of one, the couple of albums that won the Grammys would be a, probably a good start, I would guess. And a lot of the recent work he did, or more recent work in the last decade, has been getting rave reviews, supposedly. So, but you know, you've, there's probably over forty or forty-five releases to try and get a hold of. So, all you need to do is uh, get on YouTube. I'm just having a look. There's a lot of stuff of his on there. Mornings on there, Salsa Picante, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Salsa Picante, I think that's another one I've heard of that. Yeah, he said it before. But yeah, get on YouTube, there's a whole bunch of stuff. The big band stuff's on there. Another quite famous piece was something called Pensativa. Pensativa, um... Manteca, Hmm. there's a lot of stuff. I've got a couple of tracks here that I haven't mentioned yet that I think need to be mentioned. First one is Damn You. Oh, Um, Oh, there's man. a really yeah. similar. There's a similar kind of build-up in that before it goes to build the build-up. Yeah, yep. yeah. Before it goes to the Levi solo, that's another you know twenty seconds of bliss. <laughs> he used that part in the Diamonds and Pearls tour, oh, and he okay. used it as a segue in between songs while like while he's doing like a um, that's right close change. Yeah, that also reminds me. Um, between the two, between the show bit in Love Sexy, and they interlude. Had, yeah. Inter- yeah, the in- interlude, intermission. Intermission, um, yeah. In the intermission between the two Love Sexy um, shows, you had that section with Cat dancing around, the flowers coming up, and uh, Ingrid Chavez reading a poem to this amazing... Across the line. Was yeah, it across that's... the line arrangement? Yeah. And the equi- orchestra on the um, Love Sexy Live BHS. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's an amazing piece of work. And the other one I was going to mention was The One from oh, New that's, Soul. That's Another, pure bliss, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it's an amazing track. And once again, you know, Claire's brings so much to that song. It's just is, sort of seeping, weeping strings in the background all the way through it. Is he not on Three Chains of Gold? Um, Three Chains of Gold is like a, like a massive song, like the big... Not according to Prince Bolt, but I wouldn't be surprised. And there, there is orchestral parts in it, but and that, that it sounds like him, but it's not really one that, I don't know, that is credited to him. Even if he isn't, I mean, you've you've got the parade album Alexa de Paris. Oh man, oh, no, Alexa one. de Paris! I listened to that today as well, and that is oh. <laughs> all I this... to, you need to go and listen to all these songs though, and try to just listen to the orchestral stuff. I mean, I was doing it today, and I was just you know you start singing the song or you start doing the the bass line in your head, but you've got to try and stop doing that. And just listen to the strings and stuff in it. It's it's not as easy to do as you think. Yeah, and you know why it's hard? The two reasons. One is sometimes it can be buried low in the mix. And the second part is, you know, a lot of this stuff needs remastering. And so when you hear it now, mm. a lot of the recordings aren't like as up to scratch. So they, they're kind of really low in the You know, they sound low. Yeah, they're like a Gwen Stefani all over again. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some of the... Um, <laughs> That's going to be the new the new reference for 2012. The Gwen the Gwen <laughs> Stefani effect. He, he, he Gwen it. He Gwen it. <laughs> he Stefani it up. He Stefani it up. Gwen it up. Gwen it down. Gwen it down. <laughs> so far, so far. It sounds better than he he Cheryl'd it, doesn't he? Doesn't he? <laughs> he <just> it. He <laughs> Oh man! But you know, even songs like Alexa de Paris, "Old Friends for Sale," mm. 
incredible. And the the songs that the vast majority of general Prince fans or general music fans probably haven't heard. In fact, I'll, I'll bet on it. But okay. then we, we've spoken about Crystal Ball, Pink Cashmere. I think Pink Cashmere, in terms of a single song, that's got to be probably the pick of them. I think in terms of yeah. the collaboration between. One of the best. Are we, yeah. are we yeah. making that? Are we making that call here on the show? Pink Cashmere, oh. the greatest contribution. I'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> Collaboration. That, yeah. Yeah. Alexa the Paris. It's up there. The, it's up there. Yeah. Alexa the Paris, Pink Cashmere. Yeah. Um. And and I have to add to that. You know, my top three list. Do you lie? Oh yeah. Orchestra. Yeah, that's actually good. I, I listened to that actually because when I saw it on the list, I'm like, oh, is he in Do You Lie? And I listened to it. And I'm like, oh, of course he is. And he, it's <laughs> cool stuff. Oh, it almost good. sounds almost oh. western. Like mm. uh, you know, American West sort of classical yeah. sort of sound. And guys, remember when you're listening to the Parade album, 95% of all of Claire's contributions to the album aren't even on there. <laughs> Imagine what else he's got. He's got in the vaults. Um, That's uh, going back to Old Friends for Sale. Like that that theme of Old Friends for Sale is used in the movie, sort of recurring throughout. Um, yeah, and then it wasn't right. released until you know another 13, 14 years later. And and that really yeah. shows off Claire's big band arrangement side because that is so rich and just it's swinging. It really is swing, almost swinging. It doesn't doesn't quite get there because of the um, tempo of the piece, I think. But it's it's beautiful. It's so lush. Damn you, good goodbye. Another beautiful song. There's a few pieces on rave. Yeah, sun, the moon, and stars. That's Silly game. Yeah. The ending of sun, moon, stars, where it's just the beat. And that this, those just breathing string lines—that's awesome. That part. Hmm. Is it credited on rave? Wasn't one of those yeah, albums I'm around that? Sure. No, it wasn't one of those albums around that era credited like MPG Orchestra or something. And you listen to oh, it, it's yeah. like, oh, that sounds like Claire Fisher. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Claire Fisher to me. <laughs> he's, he's also on the Kama Sutra album. Mm. Not as much as people think, though. It, a lot of the Kama Sutra stuff is Prince on MIDI, um, but there are a few tracks where. Claire, the orchestra's on there, Claire Fisher Orchestra. So, but I don't think he had as much creative input on that one, obviously, as like, say, Parade or um, The Family. I think that one was more play what I've wrote, written. So I, that's my guess anyway. Yeah, it's really hard to... Uh, another great one that's really underrated is the song Elixir. Oh, I was about to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you want to say it? <laughs> no, 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 I've got nothing to say. I was just going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, you know, I'm not a fan of that album as an oh, album. That, but, come but on, that's, bro. You're, you love that album. It's good. But that last song, that Elixir song, that, that's as good as any, any of the songs we're talking about tonight, in, both in terms of uh, Prince's composition and, and Claire Fisher's arrangement. They just they work really? so well. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's all class, isn't it, that song, especially the arrangement. So, yeah, if, you haven't, if you've done a bit of a skipperoo on Elixir, you must check that song out. Just quickly, <laughs> an, another, another little tidbit in, uh, in tribute of The Great Man, we, we we mentioned Herbie Hancock before talking about Claire and Chick Corea was another person that supposedly was an influence and um, and a friend potentially but really you know those two guys Herbie and Chick were considered pioneers on electric keyboard Fender Rhodes all that kind of stuff especially in the way that they attacked them and um, Claire Fisher was did a lot of work with for Yamaha and a lot of their new products and supposedly was heavily involved in the development of the technologies. Um, for, for, for the progression of electric keyboard, and I think in, the, in that sense, he really should be added in as a as a pioneer on the instrument pioneer. as well. Yeah, pioneer Claire Fisher. The other thing I'll quickly mention, um, outside of the Prince references, is that he joined vibraphonist Cal Jader's group. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 
for a number of years. Um, and Jada, obviously, um, a, a key figure, uh, especially in that time in the 70s. I've actually got one of his albums. It's like the best of Cal Jada hmm. from years ago. It's good. Yeah, th- that's mainly salsa influenced, I think, isn't it? Kind of. It's like Latin vibraphone, mm. basically. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, it just goes on and on. This, I'm getting into Claire Fisher this year. I'm telling you again. <laughs> no more Prince. It's just Claire. I think so, for, for the time being. But, yeah, I mean, back to Prince reference, the really interesting thing that I find about Claire Fisher's involvement is that, by and large, it seems like the work compositionally Claire did and obviously involved in the recording, whether it be himself on piano or conducting orchestras or various types of bands to play his pieces for Prince recordings. It seems like Prince very rarely accepts a substitute for the real thing. So what I'm saying is, you know, when it's Claire Fisher, it's it's strings. It's, it's usually, by and large, real strings. Very rarely, I think, does Prince take a Claire Fisher arrangement or a part and put it through a synth or through something else. Now, I, I think we know he's done that. But by and large, it's that real natural analog sound that he uses. And again, I think that gives Prince a sense of sophistication. And I mean, Claire was very big on harmonics. He used to he used to say, or has said in the interviews that I've seen and read, harmonics are key, and, and improvisation, but only improvisation in time with the music. So, I guess those little those few sound bites give us again more of a picture about the breadth of his talent. Yeah, you can hear, like, to me, he's got that, like, I'm not an expert on classical music, but to me, he's got that real uh, Stravinsky, Shostakovich, that really early 20th century kind of sound, that sort of harsh yeah. harshness, but also, like, you know, bordering on a- atonal, but not quite atonal. And, yeah, that works really well with, with Prince. Yeah, it, sometimes it sounds like it's counter-melody, isn't it? Yeah, sometimes. yeah, very much so. To, to what Prince is doing, which, you know, Prince Prince puts together uh, just a, a mid-tempo funk track and Claire Fisher puts all this Ravel and Shostakovich-inspired... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like Mia Bocca, you know, there's this beat, dum, 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 and then you've got all this Claire Fisher over the top of it. It's awesome. Again, it's awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm surprised that he actually started working with Prince during the Parade album. I could have sworn that, you know, around when you listen to Around the World in a Day, you just think Claire Fisher as well, but it's not. No. You have to feel a bit sorry for Novi Novog, don't you? Because she was the, the arranger before Claire, and then once mm. Claire came along, it was like, yeah. hmm, no more Novi. And no, Novi, <laughs> no more. Prince, <laughs> Prince, is like, Prince is like, I've got Purple Rain money now. I'm getting the expensive guy. <laughs> That's interesting. Speaking of collaborations, though, because obviously... um. Prince collaborated with Novi and with and with Claire. I don't know what gave Claire the edge, uh, although you know, considering everything that we've talked about today, it's fairly obvious that he that he's very accomplished, and he's and he's got all the very intelligent arrangements. It sounds like Prince just trusted the guy because he was so accomplished. But Claire, in his own words, says that about collaboration. He said, "Never collaborate with people who know what they want." And mm. I find that an interesting statement, mm. considering what we know about Prince. And again, Claire said about collaboration that he doesn't really like collaborating with artists. He likes he likes working with them, but really adding his own taste. And uh, going back to the Prince relationship, it, it seems like that's exactly what it was, you know. But from our point of view, I think all of us would agree that Prince would say he knows exactly what he wants, right? <laughs> yeah, but what he wants is yeah. the spontaneity, I think. Mm. So... What he wants is Claire Fisher's orchestration. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
And that's what he's going to give him. Brilliantly said. <laughs> I suppose you could have two totally different views on what a, a collaboration is. Mm. You could have two people who just want to do something together and they don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what they're going to do and that's that's where the magic comes from. Yeah. Or there's going to be two people who know exactly what they want and they say, I want you to do this and you want me to do that. And that's also a collaboration, but it's totally different. Yeah, it's not a working collaboration. I mean, it's like Prince does a vocal rhythm-based bit of percussion, sends it to Claire and says, make this orchestral, make this magic for me. Send it back to me in a week. <laughs> and then he gets back this incredibly full piece. Oh, you really took me seriously on that magic part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even, but even if it comes back and, you know, he doesn't use all of it, he, he still uses some of it. Like, there's a lot of... um. Like, aside from the strings, there's other sounds like oboes and stuff that really give sort of like a bottom end to it that, like, in some of the songs that, you know, Prince scrubs them out and just keeps the strings. But, you know, there is still that part of it there where sort of Prince has final say in in the grand scheme of things, you know. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, player, because you mentioned the oboe, but there are probably countless other instruments. And I think Claire Yeah, a lot was... of wood, wood, woodwind instruments. Well, we haven't mentioned Venus de Milo yet. Hmm. That's got a fair bit of orchestra, and that's got a nice little solo by some sort of instrument. Alan Bazooka, the trumpet. I think it is. Yeah, the trumpet, yeah. yeah. That's nice. Two more things to say. We've spoken a little bit about the parallels between Prince and Claire Fisher in many aspects, but one that we haven't touched on is Claire's attitude towards the music industry, and specifically towards record labels and producers. This isn't verbatim, but Claire made the comment during the Red, Red Bull Music Academy interview, something along the lines of, you know, s- some artists want to make every single decision and that he's had to deal with, you know, a lot of, a lot of know-it-all artists. And if you, <laughs> and if you allow somebody to doctor your product, you know, you become a slave to the system. <laughs> potentially a slave, a slave to the system or a slave to what people are doing to your work. He also made comments about producers and, I found it quite entertaining when he said, you know, a producer thinks just because he or she is a producer that they have to say or do something, even that when they have nothing, completely nothing to say in the first place. That's hilarious. And, <laughs> and I find that it, it's pretty insightful, but also quite funny. I think um, you all know people like in our jobs hmm. that are like that, you know, the people that, you know, they're just saying it so they can look as though hmm. they've got something important to say. <laughs> because they have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really good. And, and he very often, Claire, in interviews, talks about you know the record industry or the record label wanting it a certain way and how you have to fight them doggedly because you basically you have to fight to get your way. And you could, and I can understand that coming from a guy who obviously took his art so seriously and, and was passionate about music and everything that came with it. So that's interesting. Another quick quick soundbite: Claire Fisher describing Prince's multi-instrumental capabilities by saying he's sick. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that cracks me up. <laughs> so that was that's quite funny. And the last thing, the last thing I'll say, we've spoken a lot about Claire, but I'd like to say something about Prince, and I'll go into it by again talking about something that Claire said, which was uh, Mr. Fisher made the comment that generally when collaborating with Prince, everything that he wrote was around the sketch, around the sketch that Prince made and then sent him. And he, he did a whole lot of work on it, and then he'd send back, he would send back a recording to Prince, or recordings. And with those recordings, sometimes he would make a, a note or, or some sort of, you know, or he'd jot down some sort of idea about what he wanted to happen with the song, with the arrangement, but it was only a suggestion. It was only a suggestion. 
And at the end of the day, all of the tracks were mixed by Prince without Claire being there. Occasionally, he'd use a, a rough mix of Claire's work uh, to bring out the orchestral side of stuff or whatever you know colors he was after. But really, it was mixed all by it was all mixed by Prince. And I find that potentially the most intriguing aspect of their collaboration because we've spoken so much about Claire and what he's added. I'd just like to talk a, very very briefly about what Prince has added because really. You know, you can imagine Claire's sending Prince back all this work and all these ideas and all these soundscapes and these string arrangements, etc., etc. But Prince is using them entirely in his own way. And I find that interesting. And I also wonder about now going back through all those songs we mentioned and all the songs that supposedly Claire Fisher has added to. And I think to myself, do we even know if any of Claire's original ideas or original arrangements uh, have actually been left in any of the songs at all? Or has Prince mixed them in a way that has basically changed Claire's original ideas to suit what he was after, after listening listening to them, if that makes any sense? And I, I would it's kind of mm. getting back to what I was saying before in the sense that when you're commissioned to do a work like that, it's, an, it's almost an expectation that you do more than what's required. And so, you know, that would be Claire's job to do as much as he possibly could on the project and then leave it to... Prince in this case to to come up with okay what am I actually going to use yeah that's the way I hear it but I think there's some song I think like a song like Pink Cashmere I think that's pretty straight like you know that's that's uh, Claire's work as it was written that's my guess hmm. yeah you would think so but I guess who are we to say I mean you, you never know so again that adds to the mystique and the mystery behind um behind their collaborative relationship and the amazing music that that they created in a sense together. There's no better tribute than that, I think. Thank you, Claire Fisher, for making the colours black and white brighter. Stay